recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever it may be, across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 462. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today I have my regular co-host, John White. John, today's Wednesday, January 16th, 2019. How are you doing? Doing really well, Eric. Uh, recovering from some uh, laryngitis, still a little bit hoarse. Uh, last week I was so hoarse that Budweiser called me to help drive the team. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, <laughs> Color of the Bay Report. I know you guys have been missing it. We've been making it up. How, yeah, yeah. Finally yeah. get a real one. Uh, you know, it's, it's a rainy day in the Bay, um, the first of uh, 30 in a row or something. I don't know exactly what the news is supposed to be, but the, the Bay was a, a, a solid gray and brown from that driving rain. And and as always, like I, I always say, unnecessary to print out the uh, emails demanding my return. Today I come back, no printed emails. They, they handed it to me on a, on a USB thumb drive. We are Thank just, you very much. We are just excited to have you back, and it's a, it's a, it's a new year for most people. It's almost the end of the year for us. Uh, January is the end of our, our calendar 2019, but we're going to be heading into 2020 soon. So it's great to have you back in the seat driving. It's going to be a, a, a great year. And on the show today, uh, we have Ken uh, Wernerberg, and he's going to be talking about uh, vSAN and what's new with vSAN. We haven't had Ken on the show for like over 100 episodes, so it's, it's, or maybe 50 episodes a year, so maybe 80 episodes. So it's great to have Ken back. We're going to talk a little bit about vSAN, how 2018 went, and uh, you know, kind of where we're going in 2019, some of the big features. I got some good questions around you know, Amazon Cloud and the whole storage, you know, uh, multi-tiered cloud environment. So we'll get into that, and I'm sure, uh, John, you'll get to talk uh, about some good uh, storage tech questions. Yeah, about. I'm going to ask uh, obscure questions that nobody else cares about. That's, that's my role. That's uh, kind of right up there with the color of the Bay Report. Lamb. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So uh, we're excited about that. In the news, uh, there really isn't any news. I, I, I Google around to see if there was any great news that we had, and it's interesting because it's the end of our quarter, but I think, I think everybody just must be trying to get all the deals finished, right? And, yeah, you know, yeah, at least on the sales side. Not, not a lot of news. I know in February they're, they're going to be kicking off a sales kickoff again for the new year. Yep. So uh, that, should, that should then start spinning out new announcements and new, new releases of things that are happening on all the product sets and stuff. So uh, right now just everybody kind of heads just down uh, making progress. So we thought it would be great to you know, start talking about uh, what's happening with vSAN because um, you know, we've got two, you know, between the STD stack and, and NSX and vSAN, those are kind of the, the key, you know, momentum products that are happening at VMware. So thought we would have Ken, Ken join us. So Ken, I know you're on the call and uh, I know you're somewhere far away uh, in an, at an Airbnb. Why don't you say hello? Tell us, uh, tell us uh, who you are, just a quick summary of uh, what you do at VMware and how did you get to VMware? <laughs> well, uh, how much time do we have? Uh, that's kind of a long story lost <laughs> in the midst of time. So, um, 52 yeah, minutes. Ordered, yeah. Okay. Uh, wow. Okay. I could talk fast then. Um, <laughs> I manage our technical marketing group for the storage and availability business unit. So we've got about 10 people that uh, create all the various demos and blogs and PowerPoints and uh, any of the sort of public-facing technical communications from the business unit. So. We cover um, vSAN, of course, which we're going to talk about today, Site Recovery Manager, uh, VMware Site Recovery, Virtual Volumes, Core Storage, uh, basically anything that deals with storage and availability coming out of the business unit. 
that falls to me and my team. So that's uh, my group and my role. How I got here was a, a different story, actually. I think it was in 2001, I was uh, working for Avar, and they said, uh, let's take a look at this virtualization stuff. Could you go take a peek at that? And uh, I think I got a little overexcited because uh, I think I spent the next five years actively trying to figure out how I could come work for VMware, and uh, I did. So I was one of the SEs, one of the very original SEs, one of the first ones covering basically all of Western Canada for all of our products, which at the time was you know, ESXi and I think Lab Manager, and that was about it. Right. And then uh, – yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It's, it's, it's fun to talk to somebody that, you know, again, has been here and seen the growth that we went through during those days and how crazy that whole time was. Yeah, I have to say oh. um, we, we didn't really work out a safe word because lab manager is one of my trigger phases. So, um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Starting to sweat and shake a little yeah. bit. Is that what we, well, we had a tool that allowed you to deploy configurations in a lab and manage them separately. <laughs> still within the sweat zone at that point. Okay, so you uh, you worked in the field uh, and you're you're yeah. you're deploying products and you convinced someone to hire you at VMware along the way. <laughs> well, I was actually at VMware in 2006 in the field, and then uh, I okay. think it was 2011. I had a friend who was working in the newly created tech marketing group. And uh, he was moving on to something else, and he said, hey, uh, you should pick my job. I said, great. Um, awesome. Sounds fun. Uh, what is it you say you do here? And um, he said, whatever is important for the product. And I said, okay, that's not clarifying things. But anyway, I took the job. It was a lot of fun. Uh, great, great role being that close to the technology and the people that are building the products and all that stuff. And, uh, and when the time was right, moved into management, and here I am talking to you. There you go, right? Uh, yeah, fun. And uh, so, uh, Vsan, why don't we just uh, kick off? Uh, how was 2018 for you guys? I've I've got some charts up here that you know say things like you know 15,000 plus enterprise proven customers, and uh, that's that's actually pretty impressive. Uh, how was your 2018 year when with regards to Vsan? Uh, what's your takeaways? Uh, it was spectacular. I mean, HCI in general, the hyperconverged infrastructure sort of model has been coming on strong, like just ridiculously strong compared to the industry as a whole and even within the storage market. Um, so yeah, we had enormous growth. And in fact, you're probably using you know, last month's statistics because I think we now have over 17,000 customers uh, of vSAN alone. And uh, you know that's split across a couple of different uh, delivery models that we can talk about, like vSAN as software, vSAN as part of an appliance, things like that. But yeah, it's been exploding and it's showing absolutely no signs of slowing down, like quite the opposite. I think uh, it's one of the fastest growing products we've ever had. And honestly, it does remind me of those early days of ESXi where you go to people and say, hey, we've got this cool thing. It does virtualization and uh, it uh, kind of consolidates your compute platform and virtualizes it and makes you able to do things in a more um, you know, flexible and agile fashion, and people would just say, yeah, give me all of it. And it's the same sort of <laughs> feeling working with vSAN now as it was back then, or the, the interest from our customers, even people who are um, legacy, long-term conversion infrastructure and you know, array uh, aficionados are, are recognizing the value of it. And 
taking a peek at it. So yeah, there's there's no lack of activity in the vSAN space. It's uh, going crazy. Are you seeing this as like a trend where um, you know it's time to refresh your storage, and so you take on an approach to you know reinvent what your architecture looks like, and then move to a virtual storage environment? How how is that playing out? You know, you have that versus we're going hyper converged. So I have hardware refresh I'm doing. What what are you and maybe you're seeing all of this, but I, I was just curious what you saw in 2018. What are some of the big drivers when it comes to you know, refreshing? Is it a software storage refresh? Is it the SDDC movement? Um, is, it, uh, is, it, is it Dell with uh, VxRail? How, how, how are you seeing that play out? Yes. Yeah, um, all of that. It, it really is. All <laughs> of talking 15,000 so. customers, I guess that's, that's, that's what you're seeing. Yeah, and that's over the space of really, let's call it four years too. Uh, so it, it is exploding. And there are a couple of different inflection points that we see people looking at hyperconverged infrastructure. So one is the, the refresh, whether it's a server refresh or a, a storage refresh, uh, whenever they're looking at a, a platform that they need to start revamping, it's sort of the right time for our customers to take a look at these new architectures. So let's take the server refresh, for example, when they're looking at this and they're saying, well, I can get these server components, which are really you know, high-grade components nowadays, too, that go into the server. I mean, you can get cutting-edge material or NVMe or some the dawn of things like NVDIN and uh, non-volatile um, uh, memory, basically. Uh, and they're looking at these capabilities that we can get out of the server platforms and saying, hey, why don't we take advantage of the, the local drives or flash devices or whatever within these servers and utilize that for uh, distributed storage. So that makes a lot of sense. They can get these lower cost, highly resilient, very flexible, leading edge server type components and at some point do away with the arrays and things like this that add to cost, but also in terms of complexity. So they have a hyper-converged platform on refresh that gives them compute, storage, and of course with NSX and SDTC, all of this stuff in, in one specific platform that they can manage as one entity. So there, there's some benefits there. On the flip side, we have customers that are saying, hey, it's time for us to refresh our uh, arrays. We've got this old thing that's you know five years old. It's running spinning rust, and we need to take a look at what our next uh, platform is going to be for the next couple of years here. And again, hyperconvergence just kind of makes sense. They can say, hey, we can get these uh, the same capacity, the same data services, the same performance out of these things using this hyperconverged model with the simplicity of this, this new management sort of operational model. Uh, it would be kind of crazy not to evaluate that. And usually once people kick the tires on that a little bit, run a pilot to test it out, because it's fairly easy to do. You just need a server with you know, specific controllers and drives and firmware. Once they do that, they kind of say, hey, this now brings all of that management that we're looking at together into one plane and gives us the data services that we're after and all of the, the various features that they you know, expect from a storage platform. So the server refresh makes sense. The storage refresh makes sense. But beyond that, um, people are looking at how do they ready themselves operationally for things like a cloud infrastructure. They're looking at hybrid cloud. They're looking at public cloud. And the way we're building our technologies here at VMware, of course, software-defined everything is, is an important aspect of this. So a software-defined data center helps build towards a hybrid cloud type of a model. And having your storage as part of that conversation, uh, really a fundamental part of that conversation, means that you've got a, a full platform that is now uh, built basically with the idea of building towards a cloud. You're putting this cloud foundation in place 
on-prem to ready you for a hybrid model. Can, can I ask you about a trend? Um, you know, I'm an enterprise SE, so I only have 15 customers or so. So if I see something, it's, you know, across that 15, I don't know if it's significant or not. But, but all of the companies that I'm, I'm dealing with, they all have enterprise architecture teams that are overwhelmed with complexity, right? Complexity of the physical layer, of the network layer, the storage layer, the compute layer, much, you know, not to mention then needing to embrace all the software components of the solutions that they're trying to compose, and they haven't even gotten to adding business value yet, right? So right. Um, it seems like there are, there's a movement, at least again within my customer base, to simplify that physical compute layer and hyperconvergence and software-defined data center are, you know, in, the, in that toolbox. Am I off base? Is that a, a trend that's going on in the industry, or is that just in my customer base? Um, yeah, no, I, I agree entirely. That, that simplicity is one of the big drivers, though, right? Everyone needs that. And if we look at the, the storage platform as part of that requirement for simplicity, the way storage has been built for the last X number of decades of my life at any rate, um, it requires you to do a lot of, let's call it estimation up front, where you say, okay, how much storage are we likely to need over the next you know, four years or whatever your recycle is or something like that. And they say, okay, we're, we're going to need uh, 500 terabytes. And then a year in, they find out that they actually needed a petabyte or something along these lines, and then they need to re-architect on the fly. Or alternately, they over-provision. They say, okay, let's buy uh, 10 petabytes worth of storage, and then they find out they've only used 500 terabytes and things like this. So they have to pre-provision against some sort of unknown future state, which, of course, leads to all sorts of complexity. You need to try to pull in as many corner cases as you can. You need to architect your environment for any potential application that might come up during that time period. So they end up having to say, okay, we're going to need... X amount of space and it needs to be flash. We're going to need X amount of low cost uh, and that needs to be magnetic. We're going to need probably half of our data services uh, or half of our, our, our storage is going to need to be compressed and deduped. Uh, and we'll take some you know, performance hit on that, but it's worth it for the low cost. And they need to come up with basically a long-term plan that involves all of that complexity around you know, building out this portion of their architecture. And that's just one piece of it, right? So having something that's a little more on-demand, that's scalable on-demand, where you can say, hey, we're just going to provision what we need right now you know, for the next six months, let's say. We have a grasp in terms of what applications are going to be deployed. We can see what our, our capacity trend is like. We can see what our performance is like. So we just need to plan for a short-term period. And then as things start accelerating, they get a new project coming in, they don't need to re-architect and say, oh, boy, we, we missized that. We didn't get enough flash in there, whatever it happens to be. You can just add an incremental amount to your cluster. You don't need to change the management models. You don't need to pull out, you know, oh, we're going to need new HBAs for that. You don't need to worry about zoning and masking and all the complexity that comes along with trying to re-architect on the fly. So, yes, I, I, I agree. This is absolutely an industry trend. People are looking for simplicity in terms of managing their environment, in terms of being able to dynamically alter their environment and all of these different aspects. And then, of course, you get the, the very interesting one where people say, okay, well, that's great. We've been doing a great job. Everything's going well. Uh, our CIO wants everything on the cloud. So how do you architect for that? And that comes down to common management paradigms. Right, yeah. It, it's, it's such an interesting 
thing, you know, the storage industry and, and how we purchase it, it's very few other aspects of, of a business um, are purchased in the same way that we purchase storage or traditionally the way we purchased it. When I worked for a customer, you know, I worked for a wholesale distributor and, and uh, you know, I talked to the GM and I was like, well, you know, let me, let me put it this way. Like they're asking us to, to plan, you know, for five years of storage. But if I, if I walked into your office and I said, well, how, how much diesel do we need for the next five years? And, and how much regular gasoline do we need for the field sales people? And, and how much motor oil do we need? We're, we're going to buy that all today. Like you would just be laughed out of the room, but that's exactly how we buy storage. Right. And, and we have to do all these calculations. Like, you know, my, my brain was uh, exploding, right? You say, okay, well, if I, if I have to, you know, do the math on, on these applications and how they impact storage, you know, now I have to project what my application mix is going to look like over the next five years. That's, that's ridiculous. I mean, we just can't do that. And, you know, God forbid you get a merger or an acquisition and you know, different systems that you need to integrate and, you know, someone's running on vSphere 6 five, someone else is running these six, seven, you know, things like this. Mixed environments, you get an SAP rollout that all of a sudden requires you to triple your infrastructure size that you didn't see coming, you know, four years back, things like that. Yeah, the complexity of, of managing any environment is is crazy. But the, the the storage side in particular, I agree, is probably one of the more complex pieces. You can add new networking if you need to, uh, you know, re-cable re and you're, you're pretty much, I mean, I'm simplifying that, of course, but uh, the correlate would be, okay, let's buy whatever network we need up front for the next five years. It's impossible to tell, right? So the, the, the simplicity of having not only this, this common management model where you've got all of your vSphere, your VMs, your storage, all of that under one UI, one management interface, but yeah, that ongoing scaling, the, the management, the deploying of new systems, all of that, that can always be managed through the same sort of a, uh, an interface, a storage policy-based management, really kind of future-proofs that environment. And then the nice thing is this is software. So let's say the next uh, cool widget from Dell comes out and it's going to triple your compute speed and hey, look at that, it's using uh, a byte addressable NVDIM and hey, we can simply plug that stuff in and the software layer, because it's you know, all software-defined uh, management above and beyond the, the platform itself, means that it's just going to work. You can automatically take advantage of that new hardware and those new uh, innovations in the industry without having to change the way you manage the environment. Nice, nice. So, um, you know, when we, you know, shifting gears a little bit here, so if you wanted to talk about some of the, the things we've made progress on when it comes to architecture and uh, releasing, you know, the new versions of vSAN and, uh, and, and implementation, I know scale performance is, is always important, right, when you're, when you're considering, you know, choosing, you know, uh, how to build out your next version of STDC. Uh, how are we doing there? Do you want to touch on some highlights on where you think uh, we've, we've made progress and any kind of areas that you think from a scalability performance you were impressed with throughout the year? Oh, yeah. Um, well, uh, we, we release, I think, more frequently than, than most people at VMR. I mean, we have uh, functionality that goes out pretty regularly on about a six-month cycle or so. Uh, but then we also backport functionality into older versions, which we can apply via patch. So it, it's kind of neat. We're always 
showing <laughs> new features, new innovation, even for old versions of the software. So that's one thing that, that I think is kind of cool. Our, our engineering efforts are pretty Herculean to be able to make sure that we're, we're backporting a lot of the new functionality to things. I'd say the earlier versions of vSAN were all about really um, data services more than anything else. So there's a certain set of requirements for any storage platform that you're going to have out there. You know, things like obviously performance, uh, very, very important. Even more important is resilience and, and data protection and all the rest of these things. Your platform, first of all, has to be bulletproof. So that's kind of the way we came out of the gates with vSAN early on. But since then, it's been a matter of adding uh, data services and functionality. So things like DDU, compression, stretch clusters, uh, a lot of those things that we want to make sure give our customers the, the data services that they need to, to match their business requirements. So I'd say that was sort of the level that we were in for the last couple of years. And then this year, um, like for example, vSAN 6.7 Update 1 was released. And that had a couple of really kind of fun features in that one. And they're more around the operational side of things. They're around um, making sure that you're, you're optimizing your platform as you go. So something like an easy install. vSAN is pretty easy to stand up. It's literally just, as long as you've got the, the requisite hardware, you just install vSphere on it, and then you can click Enable, right? It's just that simple all the time, but <laughs> not necessarily. Um, but if you're standing up a Greenfield sort of an environment, you have a new cluster you want to deploy, uh, and maybe you're not um, that keen on going through install wizards over and over again, we've got this easy install uh, functionality where we can go out and configure the first host, deploy uh, VCSA on that host, and then go out and extend your vSAN cluster to the other members of your, your, your hardware there that you have that you've allocated for a vSAN cluster. So easy install basically goes through and uh, sets up your hosts. But then beyond that, there's uh, more configuration assistance that will go out and configure those environments to match your vSAN, sets up all the networking, sets up your, claims your disks, and configures your disk groups appropriately so that they're basically homogenous across the cluster. So that day zero, day one sort of um, configuration type of functionality has been automated and streamlined and made more bulletproof to take sort of user error and things like that out of the equation. So setting up some guidelines and, and ease of assistance of getting your environment up and running and ensuring consol uh, consolidated configurations across the board, that, that's pretty cool. Um, another one that I think is also very interesting is trim and unmap support. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with trim and unmap and storage oh, information yeah. and things like that. Yeah, so particularly for customers that have been using vSAN for a little while, the way data stores work on vSAN, they're, they're all thin provisioned. It's a, it's a thin provisioned data store by default. You have objects that are represented by components that sit across the different disk groups. And it's just presented as one big data store. So let's say we've got a I don't know, 500 terabyte vSAN data store. And we deploy a bunch of VMs. They're all taking up 20 gigs, but they've been allocated 40 gigs. Great, we'll only take up the thin space. But as the VMs start growing and using up space, of course, it, it chews up your thin provisioned locations. Now, someone goes through and cleans up. We wipe out our logs. You know, whatever happens to be, we don't need that uh, uh, database dump anymore. Wipe it out. That doesn't reclaim that space automatically because the guest is still reporting that it was used. But uh, with trim and unmap support, that passes through uh, the SCSI command or whatever down to the data store to say, hey, this space has been reclaimed. You can now shrink that. So that's cool. It's, it's, it's nice table stakes. But for customers who have been using vSAN for a little while already, 
Um, just updating to U1, you'll probably see a huge amount of space coming back from that. I mean, people don't realize how dynamic some of these file systems are and things like this. Just run a defrag in a Windows operating system and uh, you'll, you'll start getting a whole huge amount of space back on your data stores. So the overall cost of running that environment goes down. You get more space for, look at all the space for activities, you know, things like that. So I think that one's uh, another kind of fun feature too that we've released, especially for the, the customers that have kind of ongoing stuff. Right. Uh, right. Okay. That nice light list, I'll give you a break. That was a, a nice, nice, nice uh, summary of, of what's, what, what we did in 2018, and you seem like you're confident. Um, cloud starts <laughs> coming in. I know we have partners. Um, why don't you take us through um, what was happening in cloud? I know we were at AWS this year. Um, AWS reInvent, everybody's talking cloud. I don't know if that gets into storage, whether you get you know, hybrid cloud storage requirements starting to show up in our customer base, but I thought I'd give you an opportunity to chat a little bit about that as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, lots of thoughts on that one. But uh, first, I'd love to hear uh, what took you by surprise at AWS reInvent? Uh, what, what, what was the, obviously, a lot of people are talking cloud, but was there anything in particular that made you kind of sit up and take notice? Yeah, um, I, I just thought that you, the pure volume of people was was interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they hit sixty thousand at the show, uh, and and what I also thought was interesting was it wasn't as hip a cool audience as I was expecting. <laughs> I was expecting you know twenty something year old startups, and uh, you know it, what it really was was big enterprises coming up. You know, the 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 corporate finance guys from New York were there, right? All the big banks were there, insurance companies were there. So people I I met, it was very enterprise, and it looked a lot like what I would expect to see at VMworld, right? Um, so so my my audience expectation when you know when we're talking community members and engaging with the community, I thought that was interesting. Uh, I also was surprised how much AWS gave us a big bear hug, right? Like uh, AWS did not treat us like a competitor or you know, something they were trying to take over, you know, like because one of the worries I've always had is like, is this just a one-way highway to Amazon, right? Like we're going to work with our community and our customers and just deliver, deliver everybody to AWS. But what I saw was uh, AWS legitimately uh, embracing the idea that hybrid cloud was real, that you were going to always have data center workloads that made sense to run in your data center. And AWS wanted to, to really work with us in creating a bi-directional highway for all of your compute services that you could choose where to go. And you know, then they announced Outpost, which is, oh, by the way, <laughs> if, you need, if you need some of these really cool APIs that we're building to build your apps that, you know, we can deliver those APIs back into your data center as well. And some people go, oh, this is, this is Amazon trying to take over the data center. But w what I saw it is, is no, they're, they're committed to doing bi-directional you know, uh, hybrid cloud environments, and they're working with us to build the pieces, and they're working with their own development teams to say, oh, look, and you know, we don't want you to lock, in, lock you into AWS over here. We'll give you outposts, so if you need those APIs on-prem, you can run them. Um, it's, it's actually building a, so I was actually pleasantly surprised at how much airtime Pat got, um, how, how good they were at giving us booth space to working with us and actually not making us feel like something that they eventually want to just take over. So those were my impressions of customers and interaction at AWS, not really relevant to storage. Um, nobody came up to us. We were running the code booth. 
but that was my impression. So I, I, I walked away yeah. really excited and motivated that we were on the right track from a VMware perspective. You just coined a new term. We're going to call it the bi-directional information superhighway. It sounds right. right. There you go. <laughs> Very, I like to think right? of me being like I'm from South Florida, so on the, I, I like to go to Key West. And, you know, you have the highway that gets down there. And I'm always wondering which direction people are going to come from the island or leave the island. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I was uh, really, really excited and motivated that that Pat and VMware in general was really had selectively harvested really between IBM and AWS and other and even Azure, the stuff we're doing there, that we've created this, you know, hybrid cloud technology framework that people can use to actually, you know, not be locked in to any particular cloud, not be locked into my own data center, but actually just build on top of this STD stack and I can have my workloads go wherever they, wherever, whoever gives me the best price on power or availability or machines yep. or, you know, new machines. I thought that was interesting. I also thought uh, the the movement of risk-based uh, ARM processes was, were also Kind of, kind of interesting I, to see that I, play. Oh, I love ARM. I love it, and I think that we're just starting to kind of see where that's going to lead. And I think all the really cool thing for me is that all of these things are kind of converging at the same time, right? We've got vSAN running on ARM internally. We've got you know vSero that we showed mm -hmm. running on ARM, and you know the, right. the locations where you can run some of these things do have a storage component to it, right? We've got. Um, High uh, high heat, intense environments uh, out somewhere, you know, very unpleasant, and uh, we don't necessarily want to worry about power and cooling for a little bit of storage that you know Humvee or something might require. So ARM makes a lot of sense there, both from a distributed compute as well as a distributed storage perspective. So I think that we're just starting to 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 see how that is going to unfold. But I think it's got a huge future there, and likewise with the all of those other pieces you mentioned, Outpost, uh, the, the idea that people are going to be running not necessarily on-prem in a data center, not necessarily in a public cloud like uh, VMware Cloud on AWS or anything like that, but some sort of a in-between model out at a remote site where they have uh, an edge that is you know, particularly yeah, important but yeah. isn't hosting yeah, their edge. major applications and things. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I have to smile a little bit because, like, you know, we had ESX on a Raspberry Pi there at our booth that we demoed. Uh, I've talked about that in the right. past. It was fun, um, and it was kind of a, a you know prototypey. You know, you're not going to run on a Raspberry Pi because it's limited to one gig, but it does showcase other ARM uh, solutions that are coming. Uh, Amazon in, in, uh, introduced their ARM data center, you know, compute capacity. So that was interesting. Yeah. But I kind of uh, laugh and go like, when it all goes to ARM, I'm gonna be like, yeah, I have my my phone here it's got my data center on it and <laughs> i lost it yesterday has anybody seen my data center kind of it's still running so it's still connected to the network but i, I just can't find it you know i have to put a oh, tile easy. on it so you, yeah you just log on to findmydatacenter.com and uh have it print and noise for you i'm, I'm, uh, I'm going anyway, to the, network solutions so right now i'm just going to get that domain right that's that's it i'm going <laughs> find my data center. but um so to tie it back to my storage interests here too, the interesting thing is, like, I mean, vSAN is relevant in all of those things that you just mentioned. IBM runs, uh, you know, the, that public cloud that is running on uh, vSphere, which is running vSAN. Uh, VMware Cloud on AWS, that's running on vSAN. Uh, the edge devices, if we throw something out there, like I said, we've got 
we can get vSAN working on ARM. We can get these things going on just about everywhere. And the nice thing is that it's got this single consolidated policy uh, engine, the storage policy-based management uh, interface, basically. And the idea with that is, let's say you're running something on-prem on vSAN, and you set up your storage policies for this application. Or you don't even set it up. But let me back up even further. It, these are designed around business policies. So you can have a policy that says critical. You can have a policy that says you know, yellow. You can have a policy that says cardboard. Whatever your policy is, you don't know, particularly care the nomenclature. The idea is that it lines up with your requirements for a particular type of application deployment. So we have one that says critical, it has to be running on flash, it has you know, two failures to tolerate, so we can lose any two devices throughout the entire uh, environment, two hosts, whatever, and it's still going to just carry on running with the access to data. Deploy these policies, and then when it comes time to roll out your application, you simply attach the appropriate policy to it. So vSAN will pick up those policies that you've defined and then distribute the application's data, the VMs, the MDKs, it breaks them into components and distributes them among the cluster to adhere to those policies. So it says, oh, this one needs to have two failures to tolerate. That means I need three copies of data spread throughout uh, wherever it happens to be, or we need to use erasure coding and use RAID 6. Like whatever that policy defines, that application then inherits. But the cool thing is, because we have vSAN running in VMC on AWS, for example, you can then have the exact same policy set up for VMC on AWS. So when you need to migrate your application from on-prem to the public cloud, you don't need to reconfigure anything at that storage layer. You simply attach the same policy when you migrate it over. You can do this in real time if you want to online, or if you're using something like VMware Site Recovery or whatever it happens to be, the policies are identical. So we've created a common storage management plane that spans both public and on-prem clouds, which sounds an awful lot like a hybrid cloud sort of a model. So when we tie that together with things like uh, you know, VMware Cloud Foundation, that includes NSX and all these various other software-defined policy-based management uh, products, you've really got, for all intents and purposes, one common mon management model across a hybrid cloud. It, it, your data can go anywhere. The policies will be the same, the storage, the network, whatever it happens to be, without needing to reconfigure, without needing to redesign, anything like that. So one really cool use case is, let's say you're doing application development. You've got data security issues. You don't want to run these things somewhere where you don't control every aspect of it. And you don't have a whole lot of hardware for uh, developing your, your applications. Spin it up in VMware Cloud and AWS. You give it some you know, fairly low type of a policy, you know, one failure to tolerate, whatever it happens to be. Build your applications, do your test dev, or do all your UAT, all the rest of those things. And then when it's time to actually get it running live with real data, you simply migrate it into your on-prem, up the policy to FTT2, whatever you, whatever you require, and then get it going. And you're guaranteed that it's going to work from a storage perspective because the, the storage policies are identical. It's vSAN that underpins it all. And likewise with NSX, your micro-segmentation, east-west traffic, all of that stuff can be, for all intents and purposes, cloned or identical to the way it was in your dev environment. So it, it, it offers a lot of hybridity, if that's a word. It is, it's a word. There we go, hybridity. Yeah, sure. Uh, that, sure. that abstraction kind of offers that and helps you build a, a, a hybrid SDDC.
Yeah, yeah, and 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 I can see why that's why you guys are experiencing growth that you are right, uh, and and have fifteen thousand customers because in the end it applies to almost every place in the hybrid cloud environment. Yeah, and even yeah. that thinking, you know, coming away from reInvent, that thinking about storage is really the the set of um, policies and capabilities that is represented by the underlying storage rather than the nuts and bolts of what is, you know, actually being done by that. Oh, I need, uh, you know, 15K drives and a RAID 10. Um, you know, no, what I need is this latency and I need, you know, this level of redundancy and this level of dedupe and, and efficiency. And, and when people go to public cloud, that's what they that's what they order, right? They don't order specific drives and specific RAID configurations. They order latency and performance characteristics. Um, and whether I, I oh this is appropriate for Glacier. Oh, it's not. You know, I need I need access to it very quickly. I need to buy S3. Oh no, I need elastic block storage because I need to you know get access to it this way. And 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 those kinds of characteristics um, that you know, we are representing, not in the exact same way, but, you know, exactly what you said, oh, I need a deduped, I need, you know, this level of availability, I need this level of performance. And, and that's really interesting. It's a, it's a revolutionary new way to think about on-prem uh, capabilities, right? For some reason, people accept it in the public cloud, and now we're thinking about it on-prem. Yeah, well, I think back to the discussion we were having earlier about the complexity of architectures. Imagine trying to recreate that same complexity in a public or even worse in a hybrid cloud model where you're saying, oh, yeah, so I, I need my public cloud provider to provide me a disk shelf with rate 10. No, it, it's just not going to work. But, yeah, it, it's not just revolutionary. It's, it's pretty much it's required <laughs> to have that sort of software definition abstraction layer to, to give you that flexibility. All right, we're going to switch gears yet again. It's 12.40, so we have another 20 minutes. Um, talking about uh, uh, community, right, I know that uh, we, we have a vSAN, uh, vExpert vSAN subgroup, right, with uh, maybe 75 uh, experts in it, and I know that we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, what we're going to do in 20, 2019 uh, to, to kind of ramp that up and get some of the, the experts engaged with, with, uh, with vSAN and doing some vSAN evangelization, uh, which, is, which is good. Um, but I guess I, I would come back and say, like, uh, how do community members get trained? Um, what, is it, what does it mean to set up your home lab? Um, what kind of resources? Is there a VCP certification? Do we do VCP for, for vSAN? Um, how do I showcase that I'm actually you know, up to speed with vSAN and then that I know the, the necessary skill set to, to be an expert on a storage architect? Have, have you guys kind of looked at what does it mean to be uh, an evangelist for and a proponent of vSAN? Wow. Which is probably uh, well, me, an impossible uh, question for you, but I thought I'd throw it out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> let me uh, take another gulp of coffee and then launch on another monologue. Right. Um, uh, it's kind of my specialty. Uh, there are lots of avenues there. So let's, let's talk about those things one at a time. And let's talk about building your expertise with it first before we talk about the, the vExpert program, I think. Uh, we have a few different reasons. Sounds good. Let's do that or, because it's probably a 20-minute conversation to cover all this. <laughs> right. There's the, uh, the vSAN specialist uh, badge that you can get with your VCP now, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, 
so I, I would actually, I, I think that that's probably a secondary thing. I think because this is still a relatively new model for people in terms of how they would build it, how they'd interact with it, I don't think people should be gunning for that right out of the gates. Uh, it's predicated on having a VCP to start with, uh, which is fine. Most of, the, uh, most of the, the user base already has that in their sites if they're not already there. But then the VCP badge is above and beyond that. It's, it's a certification, uh, sorry, it's a badging program that you take after you get your VCP certification. And that requires you to take uh, an exam that um, we helped write. And I think that the idea is really, as with any sort of uh, certification of that level of the VCP and then going badging beyond that, there's, certain, there's a certain expectation of, of experience that comes with that. If somebody sat down cold and I said, oh, I've never seen vSAN, but I've read uh, Duncan and Cormac's book, um, they would you know, show good taste, but they probably wouldn't pass because they uh, necessarily hadn't got the necessary yeah, experience. Probably not. So, so I would say that probably the best way to do it, uh, I mean, we have a whole bunch of guidance on storagehub.vmware.com. So our, our team writes a lot of material on storagehub.vmware.com. And there's all sorts of information about how vSAN works there, uh, how to understand what it is that we're doing, a little bit of guidance in terms of how to and things along those lines. That goes beyond the manual, which is really more around the, you know, how do you find things in vSAN to, to accomplish a task. We go a little beyond that towards more operational guidance uh, and a little bit in terms of how some of the technology is doing what it's doing. So that would be a really good foundation to have is reading through that material. Beyond that, uh, there are the hands-on labs. That's probably the second step I would take. Uh, the hands-on labs have a team that is just phenomenal for, for vSAN. They, they build out around twice a year uh, to make sure we're really close to the most up-to-date releases. Um, they have manuals that walk you through how to use vSAN, how to accomplish various tasks, how to do things. Or you could just log on and go freeform uh, through it if you want to and just kind of play around with a, a vSAN environment. It's nested. It's not going to give you the same experience as you would get from you know, running with your own local drives and things along those lines uh, on your own hosts, but uh, it is the real product. It's the real thing. So the hands-on labs are probably the second step I would take. Get very comfortable with manuals, the, the workflows that we've outlined there, because I think that's a, a, a critical step, is, is getting access to the, the code without needing to kind of go and invest in local drives and all the rest of those things that you would need. Beyond that, a lot of people want to use vSAN in their home labs. And you can do the same thing that we've done. You can nest it. I think William Lamb has a couple of blogs on how to build that out uh, with a nested vSAN. You need to look at things like claim rules for your disks to make sure that they're represented correctly. But um, there's a configuration uh, hardware con <laughs> vSAN configuration guide, which is basically a subset of a, a HCL. And we list all of the supported and compatible drives, with, uh, controllers, firmware revisions, all the rest of those things, and driver levels. Everything that's on that thing you can use. We've certified it. We've got a, a program that goes through and makes sure that we were up to date on that hardware from our vendor partners as well. So once you've kind of familiarized yourself with the hands-on labs and with the material in Storage Hub, then yeah, maybe take a look at buying it. The nice thing with vSAN is that you can start really small. Like we support right down to two node configurations. You still need a third location as a witness, but for home labs, a lot of people will just use a virtualized embedded uh, witness and just two hosts. 
So you don't need to have some massive you know, infrastructure running in your home lab to test it out. You know, start with a couple of hosts if you want to, two or three. Uh, make sure that your drives and firmware and all the rest of those things are, are compatible. And then away you go. Right? If you have the compatible hardware and you've installed vSphere, it's literally just click Enable and it should work. Uh, you might need to look closely at your, your, your drive config. And you know, if you have multiple drives, you would want to select the appropriate ones and things like that. But that's probably the sequence I would go in, is, is first of all, reading Duncan Cormack's book, and then uh, Storage Hub. Secondly, the um, Ansel Labs. Third, you know, play with it yourself. It's, it's, it's pretty straightforward as long as you follow the requirements up front to make sure that you've got supported uh, equipment. Then, I think you're in a good spot. Uh, right. So that's how you would go about kind of playing with it, I would say. Nice, nice. And then, you know, obviously, blog articles and all the things that uh, that are out there online that you can Google and find uh, is good. I think there's virtual blocks that also talk storage, uh, the, a blog yep. called Virtual Blocks, which also has a lot of links to current content. So, yeah, all right, that makes sense. So now I I've start to I start I start to engage. Uh, maybe I go to some VMUGs and. Uh, uh, and talk to other people that are there that uh, that are using vSAN. Um, are there other places, obviously VMworld sessions, that kind of stuff that you could also obviously follow along with? And I think all of those sessions are published now live stream for free, so you can go you can go look at that content and engage with it um, for free on VMworld.com. I think I have all all the sessions for uh, up free for everybody to go to go look at. So that's another way. Uh, then we talk vExperts, uh, and we talk about the, the, the vExperts subgroup, where we actually have, you know, I think 75 vetted, you know, evangelists that are out, you know, uh, engaging, getting briefs, and then, uh, and, and then starting to engage with the ecosystem out in, in general. So I think that's another place that, uh, that we can engage with, with the community as well. Well, the Visa and vExperts, Subprogram is is great. I love this thing. Uh, we, we're, I mean, I'm on the Slack channel with those guys all the time, and uh, it's it's kind of a nice way to get some of the, the more vocal advocates for vSAN out there a little bit of extra access so it can be used and give some information that you know pre-release information, things like that, if they're under NDA and so forth. But beyond that, uh, beyond sort of the recognition of yeah, you get some some swag and things along these lines. It's really cool to see some of the conversations happening between these guys. Uh, like, honestly, there, there's some folks in, in that vSAN, the expert community that know vSAN far better than I do. It's just amazing when people pop questions in there for each other. Has anyone seen you know, this particular scenario? And someone goes, oh, yeah, we did that like this. And, you know, believe me, I'm sitting there jotting down notes half the time going, ah, that's interesting. So seeing this really kind of vocal and uh, intelligent and, and educated on the product group of people helping each other and communicating about it. It's nice. It's really nice. So that's I would neat. say that's a one really the, good target. Yeah. One of the things that we are going to do in 2019, uh, you hear it here first, is uh, we are going to build a public v, uh, public um, uh, I'm sorry, what's the chat program? I'm just having a blank. Uh, 
Slack Discord. Slack. We are going to do a public Slack channel for uh, places where you can come on a community page, and then we'll expose a public Slack channel where you can have those kind of conversations, and then maybe get some of the, um, the storage experts in there so that then we can broaden that conversation out. Right now we have Slack for the experts, but we are going to look at making inline Slack channels on various blogs and various community sites uh, so that the conversation can grow from just a select set of people that are on Slack channels today to a broader set like we're doing with VMware Code. So uh, mm-hmm. that's one of our 2019 objectives, and uh, we're going to start working on that. So Sorry. maybe that'll, that'll broaden that conversation out to more people to, to, to bring all 2,000 V experts up to speed on kind of all the, the hard things and things you need to learn about all of our products. So, yeah, uh, that'll be good. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I think that's one of the, the, the coolest thing about uh, any sort of a, a program along these lines, whether it's you know an advocacy program or the expert or a subgroup like the vSAN expert. I think in line with our earlier conversations, the role of administrators are changing. Uh, the roles of administrators, let me get some uh, case tense matching here too. Um, I don't think we're really going to see a future where we've got dedicated uh, super server admins and dedicated super vSphere admins and dedicated storage admins, especially when we start moving into that sort of hybrid cloud type of model when that becomes really mainstream and people are a little more comfortable migrating things around. You need to have a level of expertise across all of these different things. I need to know what my uh, east-west traffic rules are for this VM as well as what its uh, FTT policy is for storage and all the rest of these things if I'm going to migrate it around. And I think it's an inefficient way to say, okay, now it's time for me to call up my XYZ administrator, have him open his Excel sheet and tell me what that is. Everyone needs to have a certain level of familiarity with all of these things. So we as vendors can drive some simplicity into the management of it, but I think the, the role of the customer is going to be changing and they're going to be more cloud operators. You're not going to be necessarily a server yeah. admin or anything yeah, like I that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So who better to train you uh, than your own peers in the community? Like if somebody knows a lot about NSX, I want him telling me you know, how they tackled it in their environment. I don't necessarily, uh, you know, our vendors can provide guidance, but we're not going to be the same as a, a customer telling you what they experienced. So... I think that's the real power of community. Speaking of new terms, you know, you you talked about the highway. I'm just going to start using that cloud operator, right? Like mm. administrators, I was, you know, yeah, I, I talk about DevOps and how do I, I was looking for like a, a term to encompass all of this because it's all like, it's all coming together and it's all coming into a central plane where you're, you know, you're watching applications getting built, you're watching them being deployed, you're watching your, your compute and your storage, your network fabric all operate t- together. And it's almost like this single pane of like, what do we call the next generation administrator? And it, it really does come back to like a cloud operator, right? right? Where all of these services are spun up uh, by vendors and uh, they're, they're engaged and now you're just operating, you know, and it's, there's a lot of work. It's a big role, but you're you're basically operating the the Boeing 787 flying your data center around <laughs> yeah. on your iPhone. <laughs> January 16th, 1252. Uh, Ken yes. Waterberg coins uh, the term cloud operator. Cloud this will go operator. down in the annals of history. There we go. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. Quick uh, the domain registration. Thing, um, on on my list um, would be you know any kind of. Uh, 
fears or challenges that keep you up at night for 2019? And uh, what do you what do you what do you get, What are you hoping to accomplish throughout the year? What makes what makes you excited and gets you up in the morning besides a good cup of coffee? Uh, well, I shaved my beard, so my New Year's resolution is to grow a beard back. Uh, that's kind of got me a little worried. But um, oh, well, I wouldn't have had you on if I didn't know you had a beard. Didn't have a beard anymore. This is embarrassing. <laughs> oh, take him off camera. Oh, God. Okay, I'm working on it. Um, uh, just willpower. Uh, things that keep me up. Um, honestly, uh, I, I can't really think of much. We, we've got such a privileged position here right now, like I said, with, you know, double-digit growth, easily well into the double-digit growth um, for vSAN, for HCI. We've got SRM in, in our business unit that's been around for ages and still an extremely popular product, and we've got some development going on there, the things that I think are you know absolutely critical, like Vivo integration for uh, modern array integrations and things like that. The future is looking pretty good right now. Um, We've got a couple of product uh, features that are coming out in beta, so um, I'm going <laughs> to – I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Stay I'm away from that. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's already, it's already been announced, so it's, oh, it's all good. But, right. uh, okay. all right. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, we announced it at VMworld, and um, uh, beta is uh, just about ready here, uh, which includes things like file services for vSAN, but one of the top use cases for that that we kind of built some extra functionality around is cloud-native storage. So integrating some of these new application delivery models and management models through the same platform that offers us the same sort of hybrid management and all the rest of that stuff. So the things that keep me up at night, I mean, honestly, I've got such a great location at VMware. I've got such a good job. The team is amazing. Uh, There's not a lot that that ruins my sleep. Uh, That's good. That's good. And then uh, yeah. what are you thinking about for uh, 2019? Kind of, uh, I know you run a team too, so, but uh, what, 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 you know, my, my theme for 2019 is use what we have. We have a lot of great programs. We have the Vexper program. We have Cloud Query. We have communities, VMPN. We have Cloud as a Service. We have Community as a Service. So uh, I'm not trying to build or make anything new. I'm just trying to do better. Right, so better podcasts, better, better. That's what I'm looking at because I think we have lots of stuff. Do you kind of have a theme for 2019 that operates kind of like that? What's your what's your what's your 2019 thoughts? Well, uh, a lot of what we're focusing now, like I said, we've kind of passed the 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 raw data services milestones with vSAN. So we're looking more at things like guidelines, at improving operations, at easing day two operations, at lifecycle management at a lot of these things here. So I think you're, you're spot on. So from a product perspective, making it better, getting these uh, releases for, for building the platform for the next generation of applications and hybridity and making that more seamless and operate better is absolutely sort of the theme for the year. Um, from uh, another perspective, I mean, we talked about the vSAN, the expert community. That's high, high on my list of priorities is, is really digging in on that and helping, um, helping our, our advocates, our most staunch sort of allies in, in the customer world uh, get some benefit uh, from this above and beyond what we've delivered today too. So uh, that's, that's a really important one for me as well. So making sure that we can engage the community and that we can get them resources in a timely fashion as they need them, that we can help cultivate uh, those people who have invested in uh, our product sets. So those are, the, those are kind of the, the big priorities for me is uh, getting 
I mean, we have product launches all the time. So for us, uh, that's kind of um, uh, business as usual. That's not a new priority or goal. It's just making sure that the collateral that, that we can produce to help our customers is top-tier world-class material. But that's, uh, that's table stakes for us. So a couple of launches through there. Um, and then kind of, yeah, reinvesting in, in the product in terms of operationalizing workflows and uh, in the community. That's, that's me. Well, good. Good, good. John, any, any last thoughts? Yeah, a couple um, notes, just uh, footnotes for what Ken was saying. Um, Ken mentioned William Lamb. Uh, William had a, a group buy that he's putting together for uh, home labs. Um, so if you have a 2019 uh, resolution to get a home lab together for your um, you know, advocacy and, and personal enrichment, uh, maybe you want to jump in on that. And for those who wanted to hear more about um, uh, site uh, <laughs> for SRM and uh, VMware site reliability, we had uh, one of Ken's team members, uh, GS Calls on for episode 449. So um, uh, you can definitely reference that uh, if you want to hear about Site Reliability Manager and VMware Site Reliability on uh, VMware Cloud and AWS. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, we're at the top of the hour. Uh, Ken uh, uh, Werneberg, um, that's how you say last name? Ken something? Yes, right. it is. Thank you very much for being on the show. As always, great to get an update. Uh, thanks for working as hard as you guys did and having as much success. I think that the whole STD stack, STD stack is going to be fun for 2019. I'm kind of excited about the whole thing and with AWS, Hybrid Cloud, IBM, everybody, Amazon, uh, to Azure with Microsoft. So thanks a lot for doing all the work you do, and thanks for coming on the podcast. We always uh, appreciate uh, you taking your lunch and uh, doing that with us, and uh, uh, we'll move on. Thank you very much for doing that. Well, thank you guys for having me on. Thanks for the listeners. Thanks for the folks who are chatting away in the chat. I appreciate the uh, engagement. Yeah, perfect. And then uh, finally, uh, barbecue report at the end of the show. Um, I ended up with uh, barbecued Brussels sprouts uh, last week, which I, I still like, right? So I don't have anything new, but I hear that Tony might come back and give him a try out in the winter wonderland of his barbecue with only shorts on and then post it as a video. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So we'll, we'll see, we'll we'll see, see what I can do. That. Yeah, I want to see that. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, nothing like a good barbecue salmon, you know, when you're, when you're trying to cut back on the calories and live a little bit healthy. Uh, we were still in January, which is, you know, still supposed to be New Year's resolution to, to, <laughs> to fix all the things you want to fix in your life. So uh, I think I'm going to be doing some barbecued salmon next just uh, on the grill. So a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. Especially in the wintertime. Well, you don't get to healthy don't. too. Yes, they are. But uh, now we got to go salmon and Brussels sprouts. And uh, you're going to be on that ketone diet any moment now. Right. So, <laughs> there you go. All right, with that, we'll, uh, we'll say goodbye, and we will be on next week with a new guest. So until then, I uh, hope you have a, an awesome, awesome week. Talk to you guys later.